and welcome to A Stripper's Guide podcast, formerly the Penelope's Playhouse podcast. I'm your host, Lila, and my stripper name is Penelope. I'm a white, Jewish, queer, creator, writer, and stripper. I'm also the founder of A Stripper's Guide, life, leadership, and relationship coaching for queers, creatives, and sex workers. In all of my work, I endeavor to help people step into their unique power by examining the ways that both our personal experiences and broader social systems impact our relationships, communication skills, and our beliefs about ourselves, each other, and the worlds that contain us. On this show, my guests and I tackle issues we've personally encountered, ranging from and intersecting with gender, race, dating, sex work, misogyny, millennial existentialism, and beyond. If we're not already connected and you'd like to learn more about me, my art, or my offerings, join my newsletter, which is linked in the show notes of this podcast. I also invite you to follow me on Instagram at a stripper's guide and at lilavision, which is spelled L-E-I-L-A-H-V-I-S-I-O-N. Both Instagram handles are linked in the show notes. The intro and outro music you hear on this show is my original music, which I have also linked in the show notes. If you like what you hear on this podcast, please send it to a friend. In today's episode, I'm reading for you an audio version of my article, The Future of Abuse, which examines queer misogyny and the epidemic of abuse enabling within communities that claim to hold sacred the values of social justice. The text version of this article first appeared in the online publication Boston Hassle on January 5th, 2021. In that version, there are resources linked throughout all of which are accessible through a growing YouTube playlist I've created entitled Ending Abuse Cycles. The playlist contains resources for understanding abuser psychology, as well as strategies for dismantling interpersonal and systemic abuse. You can find that playlist, as well as a variety of other resources, at the link in my bio on Instagram. Again, my handle is Lilavision. The Future of Abuse by Lila. Quote, bringing feminism within an abolitionist frame and vice versa means that we take seriously the old feminist adage that the personal is political. End quote. Angela Davis. A note for context. Misogyny is an attack on femininity, not an attack on a particular gender. People of all genders can and do suffer misogynistic abuse. But we can look to anti-femme abuse, in particular, for clues that will help us finally solve the global epidemic of misogynistic violence against all genders. Concurrently, if we understand that masculinity is not a gender, we can reason that toxic masculinity and or misogyny cannot possibly be limited to any particular gender either. People of all genders are capable of misogynistic violence. We must develop language and systems of accountability to accommodate that truth. To conceive of misogyny only within a gender binary, i.e., quote-unquote, men hating or abusing, quote-unquote, women, not only erases survivors of queer partner abuse, like me, but also allows abusers who are not cis men to fly largely under the radar, undetected and unchallenged.
For the first few months of quarantine, I would wake up every day with anxiety scenarios on loop. What if I'd been quarantined with my abuser? What if I'd gone back one last time again? How are people who are quarantining with their abusers going to survive this? Since the chaos of my abusive relationship, I've found renewed reverence for silence. In the unearthing of the past year, here is what rose from my silences to greet me. If I try to count the number of femmes I know who have experienced partner abuse, the names come so many, so fast and exponentially, that I literally can't quantify them. As I write this, I can easily think of nine beloved femmes, including myself, who are currently recovering from partner abuse and or sexual assault perpetrated by leaders from within supposed justice-oriented communities of artists, activists, academics, queer folks, etc. We've been accused of lying when we tell our stories. We've endured character defamation, silencing, gaslighting, and at least three of us have had to urgently move away from Massachusetts as a direct result of partner abuse. With our silence as a convenient backdrop, our abusers proceed without consequence in leadership positions. I, along with many of the survivors I know, have continued to withstand abuse, including stalking, long after escaping the relationship in question. Since quarantine began, my own abusive ex has called me from a private number in the middle of the night, texted me novels trying to love bomb me back into the cycle, randomly mailed me photos of myself as a baby, sent unsolicited money to my old Venmo account, and in September made a thwarted attempt to attend an online show which I was not only hosting, but at which I was stripping. When our communities don't believe us, or they see the problem and do nothing, where do we turn for help? What if our abusers are already at risk for state violence because they are BIPOC, queer, trans, femme, sex workers, undocumented, and or otherwise marginalized? How do we get help without exposing them to the violence of the U.S. injustice system? As many feminists have taught us, Carceral punishment is not the answer to reducing violence in society. In the text article, here is where I linked a YouTube video entitled How Feminism Worsened Mass Incarceration and How It Can Stop, which is an interview with law professor Aya Gruber. In another brief YouTube video entitled Angela Davis on Feminism and Prison Abolition 2013, Legendary Black feminist philosopher and activist Angela Davis reminds us that, quote, the institutional violence of the prison complements and extends the intimate violence of battery and sexual assault. We also question whether incarcerating individual perpetrators does anything more than reproduce the very violence that they have allegedly committed, end quote. Our for-profit prison system, rooted in the enslavement of Black people and incentivized to inflict violence upon BIPOC individuals and communities, is not only unethical, it's ineffectual. The prison system can't heal abusers because it's an abusive system. 
To learn more about the lineage of our prison system, from slave catchers to today's multi-billion dollar industry, I recommend together the documentary 13th and the book Slavery by Another Name by Douglas A. Blackman. The paradigm for treating abusers urgently needs to shift into one of transformative justice, providing them effective opportunities to heal, change, and try to repair harm. But there's another piece to the puzzle. The paradigm for survivor's healing must expand into a paradigm of community healing. As Stas Schmidt explains in a YouTube video called What is Transformative Justice by the Barnard Center for Research on Women, quote, transformative justice is not just addressing the harm between two or more people, but addressing the conditions of the community that allowed for that to be normal, end quote. When it comes to abuse, especially in communities that claim to embody harm reduction practices, the concept of quote-unquote other people's relationship issues are none of my business is garbage. Too often, survivors and our allies, if we have them, must navigate conditions that make it our sole burden to clean up or work around messes caused by a collective lack of accountability structures and healing resources. Typically, individual survivors carry the triple burden of one, telling our stories even though we might not be believed, two, risking re-traumatization and or oversharing by recounting our stories, while three, hoping enough people will believe us that something in society might change. But it hasn't, because here's the sobering truth. Abusers are not out there. Abusers are among us. Abusers are friends, family, co-workers. Many hold power in leadership positions. Many are loved. Understandably, it's difficult to look at it when your friend, your family member, your co-worker, leader, or peer is the one perpetuating harm. Often, an abuser's victim is one of the only people willing to hold a mirror to them, while the abuser's closest friends, family, and peers co-sign the abuser's behavior. Compoundingly, abusers often strategically erode their victim's reputation. This harm is amplified when the abuser is in a position of power and influence, exponentially so when the abuser's enablers won't check them. By the time the survivor tries to ring the alarm bells, people either A, don't believe us, B, are looking at us sideways because our abuser has successfully undermined our integrity, or C, just sigh and shrug because they know the abuser's antics are vanguarded by circles of power. Survivors often have no choice but to walk away quietly from violence, abuse, defamation, and silencing simply because we're the only one willing to hold our abusers accountable for their actions. This leaves the abuser safe to remain, consequence-free, in the community to repeat the same cycles, harming themselves and others for years, decades, or lifetimes. By the way, many survivors love our abusers. As a society, we need to stop treating this phenomenon like it's shameful or baffling and start using it instead as a tool for healing. Survivors who are willing to be part of their own abuser's healing, safely at a distance and supported by community, can offer valuable insight that could contribute to mending the abuser's psyche. The truth is our medicine, but medicine heals nothing if it can't be distributed. Most of us have no model for handling a serial abuser who is also a beloved community member. 
We do need to create healing pockets where abusers are safe to seek help and recovery. And we need to account for the fact that they don't usually seek help on their own, even when they say they will. I truly believe that most humans are doing the best we can given the tools we have. I also believe that sometimes we're not solely responsible for our own healing. Abusive behavior in adults is often a result of the neglect and or abuse those individuals endured during critical stages of childhood development, resulting in severe impediment of emotional maturity and or empathy. Again, you can reference the YouTube playlist I've compiled for resources on abuser psychology. Abusers can't form durable bonds or healthy relationships. They must learn how. Even supported by all the doctors and healers in the world, we can only learn the art of relationships by having healthy relationships. When people in power protect the abusers in our midst, not only does it poison the community well, it stunts the abuser's potential to change. It's time for us to shift into a healing model that addresses not only individual abusers, but also the enablers who shield them from the consequences of their actions. If abusers get consistent messaging from all sides, they can't manipulate or triangulate us against each other, which is a tactic widely employed by abusers to wriggle away from consequences. Survivors need our communities to stand and hold up the mirror with us. No longer can we endure a society where so many people suffer and cause agonizing spiritual pain. Our abusers need help. They need the support of empathetic communities who are willing to love them through their healing, but also willing to lovingly demand that they take accountability for the harm they are causing and face the consequences. As we step into 2021, we have got to try something new. So let's innovate. Let's start conversations in our personal and community relationships to plan for and implement systems of self-regulation and transparent leadership. We all have to work together to create the structures and resources that support healing, change, and growth. We must become the world we imagine. If you like what you hear on a Stripper's Guide podcast, please send it to a friend. It would also mean a lot if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts. I'll meet you back here for the next episode. Thanks for listening. They come to watch me dance. They say I make them feel wild. Feel wild. If you come, you better bring bands. I got an expensive smile. <laughs> got that sugar baby sway when I move.